What's up, you guys? Hey, uh, my voice is absolutely atrocious, so just bear with me. Are we okay with that? Okay, guys, um, let me introduce myself. I'm Chris, a pastor in Omaha, Nebraska at a church called City Light Church. And uh, thank you. Thank you. A couple people have heard of the church or uh, generally like Omaha. I don't know. But uh, I don't know if I've ever been to a breakout session where we started with like bear claws. That was like bear up is what you say. Okay. I I, I actually respect the culture. I really do. I I really do respect that. so it's pretty cool. I went to visit City Light Lincoln one time, and they have a culture where they say, where's my dogs at? And they start barking. And so, yeah, yeah, you know what it is. You're too ashamed to bark, but you did it. You did it back in the day. I came, I was like, I'm getting barked at. I don't know if the spirit of God's dropping in a weird way. I don't know what's happening today. So uh, pretty cool to, to see how this all works up. Hey, you were the guy that said, where are the dogs at? And started barking. So I was just telling them the story. It's a thing. So, hey, um, again, So my name's Chris. Our topic right now is uh, we're asking, what is God's will? And if he has a will, how do I discern it? How do I walk in it? And um, maybe you've asked that question. Uh, You're in a a crucial season of your life where you're asking pretty significant questions uh, about your vocation, uh, about your future, um, about what you want to be about, um, about the kind of person you might want to be in a relationship with, uh, about the kind of cities that you want to live in, the kind of role that you want to play in a local church. So you're asking really significant questions. And so this is a really good time uh, for you to be asking, okay, what is God's will? How do I know it? How do I discern it? How do I walk into it? And I just want to affirm that question, first of all. Uh, I want to affirm you, uh, first of all, you need to know how much joy it gives me to see a room like this and to see a room like we were just in filled with 5,000 college kids worshiping King Jesus. Guys, it's a picture of heaven on earth, isn't it? It's a picture of God's incredible work that's happening across the country where he is seeking and saving real people. And when I was a college student, a freshman at a little college in the middle of Northeast Nebraska, I walked onto that campus as a religious kid, a rebellious kid. I'd broken some rules. I'd went through some rituals because I was so far from God. And it was a group of college students that had the boldness to come out of love. They started praying, God, would you use me? And that led them to a place where they were boldly willing to engage in a relationship with me and share with me the good news of Jesus Christ. And it changed my life, you guys. And now here I am in a room full of college kids, and I'm the old guy now, okay? It's 20 years later from that moment, and I get to teach and preach the Bible at a very similar setting. Right after I got saved as a freshman in college, I came to a room just like this, a conference over a break, and God continued to speak to me and stir some stuff up in me that would change the trajectory of my life. And today I'm a pastor and a church planter and a local elder and a Bible teacher and a guy that went to seminary and uh, a guy that has, has been faithful to my covenant bride and a guy that's now fathering four amazing, beautiful children. And my identity is not in what I do in a church, but I'm telling you right now, in this season of life, I discovered Jesus. His spirit empowered my life and he set a new trajectory that I wouldn't live according to what I saw in media or my parents or in my old neighborhood. But but what I wanted to do was be a part of God's kingdom. And that has changed me from the inside out. And there's a fruit to my life that I'm really grateful for. So uh, I just wanna say that's my story. And I just wanna affirm the question that you're asking. If you're here today and you're saying, God, I want to live for your kingdom. I wanna live according to your word, not just my impulses. I wanna walk in your ways, not in the world's ways. I don't want to be a slave to the flesh. I want to be a servant to your spirit. I, I, God, you've done some things in my life, and now I want to walk in your ways. I want to just affirm that question because it means you're not asking questions that many of your peers are asking. How do I find a job that makes the most amount of money so I can live in the most affluent neighborhood and keep myself away from the poor and have the most privileged life possible? You're not asking that question. You're not asking the question of how do I just have the most comfortable lifestyle ever? How do I just become popular? How do I please my parents? How do I impress my professor? How do I climb that ladder? How do I get recognition? How do I live for self-glory? Those are not questions you're asking if you're in this room. You're asking Jesus, you're my king, you're my Lord, you lived, you died. Now my life in response to what you've done is worship unto you. How do I live for you? How do I make my life about your glory and your kingdom? And if you're praying that, and that's in your heart, Your posture is a lot like Jesus, isn't it? Because Jesus prayed, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. 
Isn't that amazing? Our Lord literally submitted his life to the Father's will. And then in Psalm 134, 10, I love this. You should write this down, reference this verse, pray this verse. I hope this is the posture of your heart. It says, teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Anybody else try to lead your life and realize you're not standing on level ground? Come on. I have. And that's why I look at that prayer and I say, that's a prayer of someone who knows that God is good and glorious and brilliant and beautiful and is saying, I don't, I need to learn. Teach me your ways. Teach me to walk in step with me, uh, with you. Lead me according to your good spirit. So there's a tension here. I just want to acknowledge the tension that you're probably feeling and the reason you're maybe here. The tension we find as Christians is there's these general instructions in God's revealed will in his word. Uh, and and there's, it's beautiful and it's helpful and it, it gives direction to our life. And yet there's also these unique circumstances that we have to make decisions on. And the Bible doesn't always give us a unique verse for every single decision you make. Like whether you order chicken strips or a hamburger, there's no verse for that today in your Bible, right? And so you get these general instructions like in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, it says this, well, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. (laughs) Guys, that's clear. And it's really, really good. Do you know what that means? It means that you as God's people have been called out of something. You've been called out. We talked about it last night. You've been called out of spiritual death. You've been called out of separation. You were once in dominion of Satan and darkness, separated from the God who created you. You've been called to life. You've been called into relationship with God. You've been called from death to life, from a citizenship of darkness or a kingdom of darkness into a citizenship of heaven. You've been called, called back into right relationship with God, called into the kingdom of God, called into the family of God, invited to experience the presence and the power of God. And now he's saying, because Christ has made you something new, because he's put a call on your life and he's wooed you unto himself, walk in a worthy man, uh, walk in a, a manner worthy of that calling. Like you, walking is active. It's not a passive thing. It's not sit and sing. It's walk it out. Walk out holiness. Walk out worship. Walk out what God would call you to be about in every arena of your life. Walk out your salvation. Display the kingdom of God where you go. He's saying walk in a way that is worthy. You can't say yes, Jesus, I love you and I give you all of my past and all of my sin and all of my ugliness and all of my brokenness. Thank you for washing that clean. Thank you for paying my debt. I can't wait to get to glory someday and then sit and live like you used to live. He said, no, 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 no. It's called repentance. You turn. You have to take some things off. You have to put some things on. God, you're going to walk. We're going to walk in a new way. Amen. We're going to walk this thing out. Now, that's a really Great way. That should set direction of your life. Like you guys know with that, the Holy Spirit has probably told you, I can't keep dating that person. It's not good. I can't keep being friends with that person. Every time we hang out, we sin. I can't keep visiting that place because when I visit that place, I'm always tempted to compromise. And I feel like I set my faith aside for that moment to fit in with that group of people. You've probably felt the Spirit of God leading you out of those things and the word convicting you when you read his word. And so we've got to walk this thing out. There's places we can't go, things we can't do, areas that we have been thinking. We've got to take those thoughts captive to the glory of Christ Jesus, right? That's what that verse is telling you, and it's a good verse. But you know what? It can't, this verse doesn't tell you whether you should go to grad school, which girl you should date, because you've got a crush on about three boo things just in this room right now. Mm, I don't know, you know, like, which one, Lord? Give me a sign, you know? The first one that walks by, I'm going to holler at her, you know, like, which one? Like, so, okay, let her wear Lulu. You know, I mean, it's just like, what is it? What is it? Like, we're just throwing fleeces before the Lord. Like, what is, what is that, right? There's no verse. Like, you just go to it and you just like open it up and be like, ah, I don't know. That was weird. It's about a sacrifice. I don't think that's any dating advice, right? Like, it's just like, so, so all that to say is, is we feel these tensions. I'm just trying to acknowledge these tensions. So even in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, last night, it was a great word, right? Like, like he said, if you long for purpose, like understand Ephesians chapter two, that God has done a work in you, but now you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared for you in advance. That's a good work, okay? But you're trying to figure out if you're like me, like what is that good work? 
Is that good work mean I got to go sign up for kids' ministry? Uh, Is the good work that I got to sign up for worship ministry? Is the good work uh, at the local food pantry where God would have me to show mercy to people who need it? Like, where is that good work that God wants me to do, right? He just says, go and be about that good work. So there's this tension between what God has called us to and these specific areas that we're trying to work it out. So um, let me give you guys a couple of visuals. We're going to get a lot of Bible in a minute, but I'm just going to give you a couple of visuals on how you could be thinking about the will of God. Okay, two. Okay, first one is a bullseye. Bullseye is paralyzing and anxiety-inducing. So some of you guys think about God's will like a bullseye. It is a target on an archery target, and you've got to get the very small target right in the middle if you're going to walk in step with God's will. And so that means you've got to steer your life like an arrow to hit that bullseye. That means every decision could be possibly paralyzing. Which school do I go to? Private school, public school? Where do I go? Do I take out loans? Do I go to the junior college? Do I go online? Which one do I do? Do I stay in school? Do I drop out of school? Do I start the business? Do I get the internship or go on the mission trip? And I got to go to the right college and stay at the right dorm so I can meet the right people because we're supposed to be lifelong friends, right? And God has somebody just in that room just for me. And I better pick the right spouse because what if I pick the wrong spouse and I marry somebody else's wife? And then somebody else doesn't have a wife because I married their wife. Well, that got weird. Sorry, bro, I just married your wife. I don't know. Well, that, so now I got to do that. And I better get the right major because if I get the wrong major, then I can't get the right job. And if I get the wrong job and I'm outside of God's will, then I can't live in the right neighborhood because God's got a neighbor that I got to lead to Christ. Like, so I got to make every decision in the right way or I'm not hitting the bullseye. Anybody else feel that? Guys, that is... That is really stressful, is it not? It's really stressful. And, and, and that really makes, and I just want to ask, when, when you think about God in that way, I think the reason I don't agree with that is I think you're making out God to be like this distant God who has this scorecard for you, but he's not willing to reveal the map to get there. And our God is not this distant hide-and-seek ninja who's hiding, hoping, then looking down, hoping you figure out the right path without revealing it to you, and then is going to look at you with disappointment when you don't steer your life in the right direction. That is not our God. Our God is a good father. He instructs his children. He's faithful to his children. He gives you wise words on how to live a good and godly life. And then he gives you freedom and empowers you. So I would say that, that, God's, king, or that God's will is not a bullseye that you have to steer your life to hit, but that it is like a sandbox, And now you can be in a sandbox or you can be out of a sandbox. We have one in our backyard. Four little kids. We love to go in there and we love to play. And there's a rib. It's a square sandbox. And we have toys and we have trucks and we have all kinds of fun stuff in there. And my kids can come in the sandbox and they can play. And I don't really care as a father whether they play with the trucks or the toys or the shovel or the bucket. I just love that they're in the sandbox with me hanging out. And What I'm trying to tell you is that's a lot more like God's will. There are boundaries. God has revealed instructions for his people that are timeless and true. And we're going to get to that. And yet within that sandbox, like there's all kinds of freedom, all kinds of freedom to play within the boundaries of God's will. So like even my wife, why did I marry my wife? Why am I not paralyzed that I married the wrong person? I don't think that there was just one person I had to figure out and I had to pick and there had to be a halo when she walked by and then I would just see it. First of all, she loved Jesus and she was willing to tolerate me. It must be God's will. Okay? I mean, I didn't have that good of hair back then and it's really bad now. I was like, this seems like a wise move to put a ring on it. I'm going down. She's going to be hot forever. I probably should holler at her. Right? It's a great decision in my life. Like even, even my vocations, guys, I have said yes to Jesus at 18, but since then I've been a referee of sports teams. I've um, been in healthcare recruiting. And then I paid off my loans, went in. I said, Lord, I'll do one year of college ministry. And I wanted to do it. I didn't feel like God never wrote on my, my, the, the fog of my mirror in the bathroom, like go into full-time vocational ministry. 
it was just like, I, I'll tell you about it later, but I had a desire to do it. I thought it would be strategic and wise and it could actually help bless people. And I had thought about my life, like where would I be if somebody didn't come and tell me about the gospel? I should probably spend a year of my life just intentionally trying to tell really needy, insecure, broken freshmen that are probably stuck in addiction or religion about this good God that has freedom and joy for them. And so I said, I'll give a year of that in my life to that. Well, that turned into five. And then me and my wife were doing that. And then we were graduating college kids and college kids were leaving our college ministry and they weren't getting plugged into a local church. And they were just kind of drifting and all of this discipleship work we were doing for these kids. It's like, man, it's just being wasted. Like they're just, we're not doing a good job. Like, and I looked out at the city of Omaha. It was a million people. I was like, I can't name 10 good churches that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ every week from every book of the Bible to both the sinner and to the saint that aren't just gathering crowds, but making disciples and calling people to live on mission. I said, you know what, man, I, I, this is a burden to me. And so is it God's will that I stay in this other college ministry role or that I go plant a church? And I felt like God just said, you get to pick. What do you want to do? You can make disciples at college kids or, 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 am I, or you can go start a local church. What do you want to do? What's the desire of your heart? Be about my kingdom. Steward your gifts. Steward your life. I had a friend named Eric. I was talking to him about this talk and he said, man, I'm really excited for you to give this talk because he grew up in a Christian home. I didn't. Sometimes if you grow up in a Christian home, you like hyper-spiritualize everything. Um, I was just rebellious and impulsive, so I didn't have any of those problems. But he, he, he said, man, I grew up in this religious home. And so I literally, the first two years of college, I prayed every day, Lord, show me your will. I don't know what my major should be. So he took all of his prerequisites, guys. Picture him freshman year, he's like waiting in his quiet time, Lord, what would you have me to do, you know? And he's never getting a word from the Lord. And so sophomore year comes, he completes all of his classes. Now he's sitting down with his college counselor and the college counselor says, okay, bro, you literally have to actually figure out what you're going to do. There's no more classes for you to take that you're going to get credit for, like, unless you actually, like, set course. And so he said, been praying, praying, praying. Finally, he sought counsel with this pastor, and the pastor said, hey, Eric, if God hasn't given you a direct word on what vocation you should do, you should ask yourself the question, like, what do you want to do? Where do you think you could help people? How could you serve people? What are your gifts that would lead to their flourishing in the glory of God? And he started thinking about it. He said, you know, my dad, like he worked at a business and he had a bad manager and it just destroyed his confidence. And so many people spend 40 hours a week in a workplace and they work with their coworkers and a good manager and a good boss can either build somebody up and lead to justice and lead to human flourishing and lead to righteousness and, and protect people or a bad boss can tear them down, criticize them, strip them of their joy and dignity and act in an unjust way. You know what I want to do? I want to be in the workplace as a leader and as a kingdom influencer, so I'm going to get a degree in business management. So he did that. Now, now, is that inside the sandbox? Inside the sandbox, right? Does God really care if he went business or accounting or pre-med? No. Like, it's all within the sandbox of worshiping the Lord with your life. So it's not a bullseye. It's a sandbox. Let me... Um, I want to give you guys a couple little hats that I'm going to wear while I'm with you today. The first is I want to be a big brother to you. And big brothers do is often show, share a little bit of wisdom um, and a little bit of advice of like, hey, here's, here's some tools that I use into making decisions. Uh, because at the end of the day, this is, also, this is about God's will, but it's also about making wise, discerning decisions so you can flourish and, and um, walk in God's ways. So I'm going to wear the hat of a big brother. I'm also going to wear the hat of a Bible teacher. So um, I'm just about to jump into a whole bunch of texts. But as I do that, stay patient, love the word of God, receive the word of God. I just want to say the fleshly person doesn't love the word of God. It rejects the word of God. Um, but we should love and embrace God's word and God's ways. Amen. So stay with me. I want to be a Bible teacher. I might give you some new categories before I give you all the answers that you're looking for. But stay patient. I think it's worth it. I think it will help bring clarity to understanding God's will from his word. Okay. So a couple categories, three categories on God's will. All right. I want to give you three categories on will, God's will. So I'm putting on my Bible hat first. The first is God's secret will or God's will of decree. So this is referred to as, as theologians as even God's sovereign will. So it's his secret will or his will of decree. So these are things that God in his own heart, own mind, own timing has made plans to do and that will be accomplished by his work, his power. There's no stopping these things, there's no hindering them. There's no stepping out of them. So let me just help you understand that the Bible doesn't start with you making decisions, trying to walk in God's uh, will. 
It starts with an amazing God who has a will that will be accomplished. Do you guys know the Bible tells one big story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And God is going to finish the story that he started. And there's nothing you can do this week that will disrupt his will. That's how sovereign and powerful he is. Psalm 33, verse 10, it says this, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord follies the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm and the purpose is of his heart throughout all generations. So Psalm 33, here's what he's saying, that the nations and leaders and CEOs and generals of this world, they can make plans, but God in the Bible is not small or weak. He is mighty and he will do what he wants. He created everything with just the power of his word. And he's worked in past generations and he is going to work his will in this generation. That's really good news. Isaiah 46, nine through 10 says this, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say this, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Wow, that's really good news. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11, he says this, all things according, all things work together according to the counsel of his will. So somehow in the chaotic world, With human suffering and human rebellion, God is able to sovereignly and providentially weave all of these stories together to accomplish his will and his work and his timing. He's the one who has all of eternity in his mind, and he is bringing um, human history into whatever he would call it to be about according to his will and power. This is really good news. And you know why that's really good news? This is not something you have to obey. There's nothing here that you can step out of his will. This is just something he's doing, but this is something that we as God's people trust in, right? So when Christians fail to understand that God has all of human history in his hand and it's gonna all go down the way that he wants when he wants, like when we don't get this part, guys, what happens when your parents see the election cycle happening next year? Anybody else know somebody that acts entirely irrational? Nobody else has seen posts on social media like, oh my gosh, the wrong person got in, right? Oftentimes they're freaking out because they think we're one election cycle away from God's will not being done. And I just want to say, guys, have you ever read Revelation? Like Jesus comes back on a white war horse and he speaks and justice is done. And Satan looks big right now, but he ties him up like a little wimp and throws him in a pit. And he undoes all darkness and he wipes away every tear and he's going to make everything new. And there's going to be no sadness and mental illness and there's going to be no more abuse. There's going to be no racism. And it it is going to be how God would call it to be in his kingdom. He's going to come back as the king and usher it in. So that's where we're going. And God knows when that's going to happen and God will make that happen. And you say, well, that seems like really idealist thinking, but I don't know about if you've ever read the Bible but it's filled with these amazing promises that have already been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The tomb is empty. And that gives me confidence that he can pull off his next set of promises that are coming. Amen? That's his will. So as we come into this conversation about God's will, just understand that should give us a level of peace, shouldn't it? Because you making a decision about your vocation is not knocking God off his throne. (laughs) He's going to do what he wants to do. And he's going to finish the story. That's really good news. So let's come into his second will. So there's God's will that he decrees. That's his secret will. And the reason that theologians refer to as his secret will is because you don't know when he's coming back. You you, you don't know his timing. You don't know exactly when that's going to go. You don't know all of the things that are in the heart of God. So that is his hidden will, his sovereign will, his secret will. But he also has a will, not just of decree, but he has a will of desire. His revealed will is what theologians call this. So, uh, and this... Uh, God's will for his people, his revealed will is primarily shown to us through his word. So as Christians, if you go to other religious practices, they're always trying to get a word from God. So you have to go to a priest, you have to go to a a card reader, you've got to go to some mystic spirit, you've got to light a candle, you've got to do all of these things because you're trying to get a word from God. You're trying to figure out how do I live according to this deity? What is God's will in my life? And I love that our God has not left us in that place. He has given us his will for our lives through his word. Psalm 119 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. 
Guys, I'm gonna warn you, if you've ever read stories of the Bible, the Bible are filled with warnings and examples. Warnings and examples to follow, okay? So Samson, warning, right? Like he stepped outside of God's moral will. God said, don't marry that kind of person. He married that kind of person and it didn't go well for him. They poked his eyes out and chained the brother up, okay? That's not a good deal. You don't wanna be there, right? There's consequences to stepping out of God's will. And he lets those consequences land on you, not because he's punishing you, but because he's disciplining you. And that's really good. So, that, um, so I just want you guys to know, then, then what we see through this is like, I could walk through any number of passages to help you understand God's will, but I'm gonna give you seven and I could have picked about 127, but like, I'm just gonna give you an overview of a couple areas of your life. Like what is God's will for my life through his word right here, everyone in this room, these are general instructions from his word to his people. And you're wondering, am I living in God's word? Well, I hope this helps us. Okay, the first one, I'm gonna give you seven. The first one is that God's will is that you would be saved. <laughs> Now, I thought about skipping over this, but I should not assume in a room like this with hundreds and hundreds of people that you have been saved. You can be religious, you can be active, you can raise your hands in worship. That does not mean that you've come to a place where you've evaluated your heart, looked at your sin, looked at your rebellion, looked at the holiness of God, looked at the person and work of Jesus Christ and said, God, I, I don't wanna live for me anymore. I see that I owe you a debt. I've sinned against a holy God, and the only way to be right with you is to believe in your son, the sacrificial lamb who's come to take away the sins of the world. Look at 1 Timothy verse 2, verse 3, or chapter 2, verse 3. He says, this is good and pleasing God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What is the truth? Jesus and there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for, I love that word, all people. So what is God's will? What does he want? What is pleasing to him? That people would come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. That's really good news. That Jesus looked at the debt that you had acquired through your own sin and rebellion, through your own self-righteousness, through your own lust and your envy and your gossip and said, you have a debt to pay. It says right here, there's one mediator, one person who came to make a ransom payment for you and his name is Jesus. He came from heaven to earth to live the life you couldn't live, to die the death that you deserve and to victoriously raise from the grave, earning for you eternal life. This is really good news. You know, Jesus's first sermon was repent and believe in Mark. Repent and believe. This is the way we start the Christian life. We turn away from our sins. We believe in the person work of Jesus Christ. I wanna let you know in 10,000 years, it will not matter. It will not matter if you got sober, if you made a lot of money, if you pleased your parents, if you were a nice neighbor. The thing that will matter in 10,000 years is what did you do with this person named Jesus Christ? And there's some of you believing that the reason I circled that word all people twice in that text is because there's people in this room that think that's cute for someone else, but I'm so jacked up and I'm so messy. There's no way God would love me. And that is a lie from hell. And all people means all people, including you. And there's some of you who think like, man, I'm so good. I don't even know if I need a savior. All people, <laughs> all people. The humbling work of Christianity is that you're part of those all people who need a savior bigger than you. Praise be to God. If you're a Christian, step one's covered, okay? But if you're not, step one, stepping into the will of God is that you would believe in the son, Jesus Christ. Number two, let me show you guys this. If, this, if you're a Christian, this one's for you. For all of you who that are Christians, God's will for you is that you would be sanctified. First Thessalonians chapter four says this. This is the will of God. I like when it starts like that. Pretty simple. Your sanctification. Okay. Wow. That's really simple, a really short phrase. But what he's really saying is now that you believed in Jesus, what you're going through, God's will for your life is not that you just believe in Jesus and get to glory someday. What God wants to do is conform you to the image of Christ right now. Not just change your behaviors, but change the attitudes of your heart. That Jesus would change your appetites, change your desires, that you would have a new affection for him. Uh, instead of running to sin, you would run to Jesus. Instead of hiding your sin, you would uncover your sin. Instead of running away from your brothers and sisters in Christ, you would love and serve them. Instead of like silencing the word in your life, you would be hungry and embrace the word of God in your life. 
that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. What he's calling you to do is hard. It's allowing Jesus to change you from the inside out. It's saying, Jesus, I wanna live more and more and more like you. I want my life to be marked by compassion because your life was marked with compassion. I wanna love unlovable people because you loved me when I was an unlovable person. God, I'm gonna forgive because you've forgiven me. It's being conformed to the image of Christ. It's being set apart. Would you embrace the long, slow, painful promise, process of sanctification? Third, what's God's word about? By the way, on that the second point, I had one little note on this. I think sometimes we oftentimes pray for new information. God, help me to know what to do next, but God's primary agenda is our transformation. We oftentimes want new information. God's primarily trying to bring about transformation. So I just, one of the things I always wrestle with is even in my own prayer life, am I just saying, God, give me, give me confidence that I'm stepping into your five-year five plan? Or am I saying, no, no, there's stuff in me right now that needs to die, that needs to get cut out, that needs to be repented of. God, would you help me to see that? Because at the end of the day, getting a new job is not going to be pleasing to you if I keep living in unrepented sin. Getting into grad school is not going to be honoring to you if all I'm doing is just minimizing my addiction and trying to keep a face. So God, would you change something in me? Third, what about school or work? Is there any will for your life in those areas? Um, confession, I didn't do all my Spanish homework in high school. Nobody else can relate. I'm sure you guys have all done all of your assignments in life. But this pastor didn't. And, um, and that was one of the things that God had to change. I thought, man, God wants my sexuality. God wants my Sunday morning. God wants my gifts to be used for him. But you know what I do in the classroom or what I do in work, what does that really matter to a holy God? Well, God has something to say. He has a will for you there. He says, whatever you do in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, do uh, work, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. He's saying, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for God's glory. Understand that he's watching. And I love this because some of you guys are putting so much pressure on your vocation. What am I going to do? What's my career? How do I get the right job? Where am I going? And I want you guys to know, God is not going to be more honored with you if you go into full-time vocational ministry but are lazy. Like the garbage person who picks up the garbage on the back of that truck, who's joyfully waking up and embracing his lot in life, that person who's walking in the joy of the Lord, grateful that he gets to use his job and his body to serve other people, who's doing it unto the Lord and working hard and doing it with excellence is more pleasing to than a lazy pastor who uses chat GPT or whatever to write a sermon and sips coffee and calls it a job. No, thank you, right? So he's saying work hard as unto the Lord. So I just want to challenge you guys, like you're going to have to go back to campus and make a decision like, do I cheat on my homework or not? And when I go to my job, is it just a way to make money or is it an arena where I'm worshiping God and executing God's will or not? Like, I want to help you understand that God's will is those arenas right there. And you can either step in God's will, which is saying, I'm going to do this unto the Lord. I'm going to work as a Christian. I'm going to do it with joy. And I'm going to do this in a way that leads to human flourishing. There's not one job that leads to greater glory than God than others. Guys, if we don't have people who pick up trash, do you know what happens to our cities? We die, okay? So you would say, oh, we need more pastors and missionaries. We do. We also need people to take trash out because I don't know about you. I don't want to smell rats all over the place. I'm just telling you, okay? Y'all weren't really with me right there, but I mean, it's a real thing. Okay, so fourth. Okay, what about our Christian relationships? What's God's will there and how do we relate to one another? I love Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says this. So look around this room. This is how you're called to love each other, okay? Go back to your campuses. Am I doing God's will? What's God's will? God says God's will. You're sitting next to somebody who probably needs some of this. Be, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. How many people are super good at that? I just want to tell you why you're so awesome. I'm not very good at that all the time. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fever. fever. 
serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of lowly position. Wow. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. Wow. Guys, that's not an earthly scorecard, is it? That is a heavenly kingdom heart right there. How are you to love one another? Show honor, forgive, serve, bless. Do you just work your way up in a Christian crowd trying to be the most popular Christian on your campus? Or do you associate with the outcast? That's how we're called to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's God's will for you. Fifth, what about our relationships with loss? Do we just avoid them, mock them, judge them, keep our distance from them? It says this in Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is your mission to make disciples on your campus, to send people to go to the nations, to you yourself go to the nations. We have to be people that are willing to show and share the love of Jesus Christ to both our neighbor and to the nations. And how you participate in that is between you and Jesus. Some of you guys are gonna go this summer. Some of you guys are gonna send other people to go this summer. But we are called into this mission of making disciples. We don't laugh at the lost. We don't judge the lost. We don't mock the lost. Uh, Instead, we pray and we're burdened. We want the lost to be found. And God wants to use us to be a part of that work. Are you part of that? Are you participating in God's will and God's mission? Six, what about a relationship with God? This is a great invitation. He says this in John chapter 15. Remain in me also. I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. So guys, just because you believed in Jesus doesn't mean that you've just checked the box, you've got salvation, you're all good. Yes, you're justified. And yet what God is saying is you have to pursue staying connected and abiding in a living, vital, powerful relationship with Jesus Christ. God does not just wanna save you to get you into his kingdom later. He wants to speak to you. He has a power that will flow from him to you as you abide in him. And apart from him, you can do nothing. You want spiritual fruit, peace, joy, self-control, love. You want those things to flow out of your life and you've got to be rooted in the personal work of Jesus Christ, keeping your eyes on him, keeping your mind fixed on him, praying to him, connecting to him, studying his word. Would you abide with Christ? Are you living out God's will? Finally, what about our posture towards God? First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 18, it says this, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Guys, yes, lamenting is in the Bible. Lamenting is acknowledging that things are broken and fallen in this world. It is okay for Christians to lament. It is not okay for Christians to consistently grumble. Grumbling is saying, God, I'm mad at you because you're not giving me what I want, and I am deserving of more than what you've given me. What he's saying is what should mark our lives, God's will for your life right now is that we would be people who come back to the Father and say, you've already given me way more than I deserve. If I don't get to marry that perfect little boo thing and I don't get the American dream and I don't get into grad school, God, you've saved me from hell and you've given me heaven and you've given me your word and you've given me your spirit and you've given me a mission and you've given me an identity that I cannot lose and you've given me your unconditional favor and grace on my life, you've already given me way more than I deserve. God, thank you today. Thank you today. Thank you for giving me breath in my lungs. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a word to instruct my life. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a people that I get to do life with that I'm not alone. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I could have spent my whole life trying to work off that debt and you did it on the cross for me, God. Thank you. God, thank you for taking my guilt and my shame. Thank you. Thank you for making me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for taking me as a lonely orphan and adopting me into your forever family. Thank you. Would that mark our hearts? It's one of the things that I am mourned because I look at the gospel. It's such good news. And oftentimes people get so weary in a broken, hard world that we start to grumble and we lose the posture of praise. And I believe that our God is worthy of our gratitude. This is God's will for your life, that we live as faithful Christians that are grateful for his grace. Okay. 
That was a lot. I could keep going. It was hard for me to trim that down. But I want you guys to know um, that there's areas in the Bible that are not covered by these commands. And so we've covered God's secret will. We've covered his revealed will and his desired will. Now I want to speak to some wisdom to give you so you guys can discern God's directive will. And that's probably why most of you guys came to this is how do I discern God's directive will? These are areas where the Bible doesn't give us any commands. So how do we discern what to do? And when God has not revealed his will through his word, we are not held responsible for doing one thing or the other. If you can, you can go to one college or a different college. You can date one Christian girl or a different Christian girl. That, that's not a sin. He's given us freedom, but we do want to seek directional wisdom from God. How do we do that? I'm going to give you guys five things. Number one, pay attention to your desires. Ask the question, what do I desire to do? Oftentimes, you can understand where God is leading you by paying attention to your desires. Psalms, 130, or Psalms 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, before Christ, your desires are wicked. Self-glory, pleasure, comfort, greed, whatever it is. But when you walk with Jesus, he changes the desires of your heart. Your heart starts to break for the very things his heart breaks for. Your heart starts to get excited about the very things his heart gets excited for. And one of the ways that you can tell where God is calling you to go or calling or inviting you to do something is to ask these two questions. It comes in two forms. What is breaking my heart? What makes me sad and angry? Guys, there's things that should stir up in you. Like, it, it might be for me, it was like, I'm looking at my city and there's all these people playing religious games who think they're saved because they marked some box because their grandma used to go to a certain church and they got confirmed at a young age. And so now they're followers of Jesus. And I'm thinking, no, Satan has blinded their eyes and they are playing religious games and they do not know Christ. They are not filled with his spirit. They do not love and worship him. And I want to help the gospel break free, like break clear into people's lives in my city. It like broke my heart that so many people do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ in my city. And I thought, man, I got to do something about that. And I looked at our college campuses in Omaha. We have two amazing campuses, University of Nebraska, Omaha, and Creighton. And I'm like, man, like collectively, less than a couple percent are following Jesus. We have to do something about that. Like that, what happens to those people when they're 35, 45, 55? How do they lead their families? How do they treat their spouse? How do they care about their neighbor? How do they interact with people who look differently than them? The gospel has something to say about all of that, doesn't it? And I want people to know that, Jesus. That broke my heart, and that was a desire that was brewing in me. The other thing that, uh, that you pay attention to is not just a burden, but an excitement. Have you guys ever got excited? Like, what would happen on your campus if every single freshman had the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, what would happen in your state if in every major community there was a gospel-centered church? What would happen in the nations if we started as a people of God to adopt orphans? What would happen in the legal system if we advocated for justice? What would happen in our communities if we helped people who got out of jail actually transition into a place of security so they could flourish? What would happen have you ever got excited about that stuff? You guys are like, Chris, that's way too much. I'm just excited about lunch right now. What would happen? Okay, so if you ate that salad, no, okay. <laughs> Pay attention to your desires. Because a lot of times God will say, man, this isn't a right or wrong answer. This is just like, what does your heart want to, what is your desire? When you're paying attention and you're saying, hey, I, I think this will lead to human flourishing and God's glory, what is my desire? Number two, seek counsel. We should be asking, what does wise counsel have to say? If you're considering dating someone, you should ask your friends, what do you think of that person? If, if you're dating them, you should probably get around older people that are good and godly and see stuff in their character and probably will see past their appearances and smiles and see into their character, see into their heart and give you feedback. If you're considering a vocation, you should probably get around people and seek counsel. What does your pastor or your parent or somebody who you think is wise and good and godly have to say about you in that role? If you're wanting to change your major, you should ask somebody about that, your professor or parent. You should be thinking about who are good and godly, wise people who have seen the patterns of life play out and can speak into this. It says this, without counsel, plans fail. Without many advisors, with many advisors, they succeed in Proverbs 15. And you know, pride in your heart will say, I will speak and I will act. Humility always listens and always invites feedback. So the humble posture is to get low and say, hey, would you speak in? 
would you speak in? Number three, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. You should pray about whatever decision that is. And I know that sounds Christian, but it's very biblical. James chapter one, verse five says this. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. So just ask God, like, I don't know where to go. Should I go to grad school? Should I not go to grad school? Should I, should I stay single for a season of my life so I can really grow and work on my own heart? Or should I enter into this relationship? Um, God, what would you have? How much should I give? I know you've called me to be generous, but like, Lord, give me wisdom to steward my dollars right now. God, what would it be? God, would you give me wisdom? Help me to not act according to fleshly impulses or worldly ambitions, but to be a set apart for your kingdom. God, give me wisdom. Number four, evaluate your giftings and design. So we're all different and God gives us different passions, different gifts, different lots in lives. First Peter chapter four says this, as each has received a gift. So you're a Christian, you've received a spiritual gift. It says this, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So guys, when we started the church, there was not that many people. Okay. And every, you just had to do everything. And so this was not about, hey, I'm going to operate in my giftings. This is just like, you've got to get something done. And so one of the things I got asked to do was uh, run our online giving tool, okay? So by the way, church runs on tithes and offerings. I am not administrative. I'm not technologically advanced. I tried to set this thing up. It was a hot mess. We had way too many fees. I think money was going to other churches. I don't know. As the church has gotten healthier, I had to humble myself and say, guys, I love the Bible. I love God's people. There's a lot of things I don't have gifts in. Administration, finance, website, technology, something to do with the cloud. I don't know. Don't know nothing about that, okay? I I can help preach and I can help pray and I will help disciple and I will love people and I will do weddings and funerals and I will be there at the hospital visit. Whatever you need in those arenas, I am your person. But if it has to do with rounding up or decimal points or commas, I'm not that person. So can we just acknowledge there's a freedom that God has given you some unique gifts and you're probably better at some things than other people. And that doesn't mean we'll walk around prideful, but we say, I wanna use my gift to bless you. So for some of you, you have unique gifts. All of you have a gift that God has given you. And part of you is just saying, what's my design, right? Like I would be a fool to go into accounting, Guys, I got a C minus in a class called general math at a division two school. This is not Harvard. This is general math at a school called Wayne State. Guys, not hard. Not hard class. Hard for me. Okay? So should I go into mathematics? Probably not. That's probably not God's will for my life. That's not how I'm going to bless you guys today. Okay? So just say, according to God's design on my life, the gifts that he's given me, Uh, the spiritual gifts that he's given me, the unique abilities and talents he's placed in me. Is it wise? Does this go according to his gifting and design in my life? Number five, look for opportunities. So if there's an opportunity to do something, maybe this is God directing your path to step into it. Um, For me, when I planted the church, there was an opportunity. I had a longtime friend named Gavin. We had done college ministry for a long time. We were reading a lot of the same books about church planting and cities and the need for new gospel-centered churches and I think we're reading our Bibles and starting to look at our lives and saying, man, could God use us to be elders and pastors to raise up new disciples to reach this city? And there was an opportunity to plant a church with a good friend in a city that I love to preach the gospel and see, the, see people meet Jesus. Uh, with my wife, there was an opportunity. I saw this amazing girl who loved Jesus, started to pursue her and asked her out. And she said, yes, that's an opportunity. And I just told myself, I'm going to keep showing up until she tells me to go away. She never really told me to go away. And so I'm still just showing up. And now Jesus has spoken a word over that. Like what God has joined together, let no man separate. So even if she tells me to go away, I'm not going away, right? There was an opportunity and I pursued her. And so whatever those opportunities are, sometimes the door opens, but I just want to say there are going to be things that doors open and you have to reject. Remember the R's I told you? So if I haven't shared this with you, part of just like you growing as a Christian is Three R's real quick, just to give you a quick word of discernment. Some things in the sandbox you can receive as a good gift from God. Chocolate, good gift from God, right? You can receive that as a good gift from God, okay? Uh, water, good gift from God. You, you can receive this. There's lots of good gifts that obviously you can abuse and that becomes sin, but a lot of things you can receive in the sandbox of God's will. 
Some things you can redeem, okay? So some of you guys are gonna go into vocations and there's gonna be people in your office that do things in an unethical way. Does that mean you have to quit your job? I don't know, you'll have to work that out. But if you can do your job in an ethical way and you can redeem your kingdom post, then do it. There's areas where you can redeem things. You live in a neighborhood next to non-Christians, that doesn't mean move out and just find a neighborhood with all Christians so your kids never hear a swear word. It's probably not right. We live in a broken world. What does it look like to love your neighbor and redeem that neighborhood, right? You have money. You're gonna be entrusted with it. So how do I not just use this for evil, but I redeem it for good and invest it in eternally good and glorifying things. So you can receive things, you can redeem things, and you have to reject things, okay? There's certain things that are just flat out evil and ungodly and not good, and you have to say, well, I don't care if that door opens or not. I'm not walking through it. I have to reject that door, Okay? So those are a couple R's that I just kind of run through. Can I, can I receive this as a good gift? This might not be evil or bad or good or evil. It's just something I can receive. Don't stress out about it. This is something I need to redeem, my time, my money. I need to redeem these things. Uh, my neighborhood, I want to work for redemption in that space. My city, I don't need to run from it. I want to see God redeem and restore that city, do a great work in it. Uh, what do I need to reject? There's evil things. I have to reject pornography. I have to reject addictions. I have to reject gossiping about people. I have to reject some stuff. I have to reject invitations to go sin with people. I have to reject those because my allegiance is to King Jesus and I want to walk according to his word and his ways. So let me pray for you. I just want to say thank you. And I just want you guys to know I pray for you. Um, I rejoice over the work that God's done in your life. Let me pray for you right now. God, I'm so grateful for this group of students. You are a faithful and good God, and you have pursued each and every single one, and you have sought and saved many of them. And God, you are a good God that has not chosen to be so distant, but by your word and by your spirit, you choose to give us instructions on how to live our lives in a way that would honor you and lead to our flourishing and the blessing of other people. And so for these students, I just want to pray against any anxiety. If they're paralyzed by fear, God, would you give them a word that you are a father who loves them, that you've given them everything they need for life and godliness. That's what your word says. God, would you give them freedom, freedom to take risk, freedom to step into responsibility, freedom to be bold and not be so afraid of failure. God, so many people have stepped into your will and they've endured suffering and what looks like worldly failures. But God, they followed you by faith. Lord, I pray for these students. Lots of their life is ahead of them, not behind them. And so God, would you give them wisdom and discernment? I had to leverage their lives for your glory. Spirit of God, I pray that you would direct them. When there's temptation in front of them, I pray that you would empower them to run. And God, when they fall into that temptation, I pray that your spirit would guide them back to the cross where they receive fresh grace. God, that they would walk with you for a lifetime not disqualifying themselves, not just running from you, not hiding in failure and shame. God, sustain these dear saints for your glory all the days of their life. Sanctify them now, glorify them later. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, guys. If you have any questions, I'll be around.